this week, uh, we are going to actually fast forward just a little bit in the book of Matthew. If you're with us um, last week, we closed out um, chapter number five, and so we came up against chapter number six. Um, and the reason for that is not because the beginning of chapter number six is not important. In fact, um, it's very important. This is what we call the Lord's Prayer. And so this is not to skip over, make light of the Lord's Prayer, but really the reason for this is that about three months ago, um, we were in this passage and we covered it pretty heavily. And so um, if you want to see um, some of how that plugs into the study that we're going through, you can go back, you can go onto our website, you can go onto um, our YouTube channel, and you can go back um, into, uh, I believe it was at the end of June, um, there's a message entitled The Church That Says Yes to Prayer. Um, which really was an exposition of this passage, um, Matthew chapter number six, the first few verses of it. And so what we're going to do today, instead of re-preaching that message, instead of going back there, we're going to jump ahead into this next segment following the Lord's Prayer in the book of Matthew chapter number six. Um, and I'm sorry to say that today's topic, it's just, it's absolutely impractical for everybody. Um, this is a topic that none of us ever deal with. And so just bear with me. Um, and just kind of follow along because it's so important. But, you know, none of us really struggle with. Um, today's uh, message I've entitled, if you would, um, any minute now, there we go. Anxiety in the kingdom. Anxiety in the kingdom. But none of you ever have anxiety. And so this is a totally pointless message, right? How many of us, how many of us, just, just be honest with each other here in this place this morning. How many of us, uh, we've battled or we battle at times with anxiety? I mean, anxiety is a real thing, right? Some of you guys were trying to raise both hands. You had your Bible in one, and so it's a little difficult, right? But anxiety is a real thing in life, isn't it? Uh, we struggle with worry. You know why? Um, I think one of the most common phrases in all the Bible is don't fear, don't be afraid, right? Well, why does God or why do the angels that appear, why do we have to be told not to be afraid? Because we're afraid, right? Because we're fearful. And so anxiety, fear, worry, these are things that we as human beings wrestle with, that we fight against on a daily basis. Even the most stable of all of us, anxiety and fear still exist within our lives. And so as we come into chapter six, really all of chapter six deals with this. If you go back and you hear um, what we talked through as we were in the beginning of Matthew chapter six, we were talking about the Lord's prayer. Even through the Lord's prayer, what we find is this is an expressed dependence on God. That's what prayer is. It's our acknowledging our need for God to intervene on our behalf and our inability to provide for ourselves. And so Jesus speaks to this prayer, and then he comes to about the middle of this passage. He continues and he transitions into the passage we're going to study today. Now, um, some of you have probably heard um, this song back in 1959. Um, Recorded in uh, Hitsville Studio A, um, up just a few miles from us in Detroit. Um, and the lyrics of the song started this way. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money, right? I want money. That's how this song goes. And really, that's what uh, we're seeing as we come into um, this passage today. That's where I kind of want to begin. Because in our culture, in the culture that, of the first century that Jesus is uh, speaking to here, oftentimes we have this um, misconception that money is capable of solving all of our woes and all of our problems, don't we? Because money, we can turn that into whatever kind of provision we want. We need clothes, 
money can get it for us. We want status, money can achieve that. We want comfort, money is there. And so what we do is we oftentimes take money and we substitute whatever provision that we should be going to God for and we plug money into that gap. But what we find here is some very strong words about what we do with our resources. Let's begin reading today in the uh, book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse number 19. Verse number 19. These are the words of Jesus being spoken to a crowd that has gathered and is listening to his teachings. And this is what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so what is he speaking of? What is he saying here? Um, he begins by giving this instruction. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and where rust corrupt. And these words, as he speaks of moth, um, most of us, um, maybe some of us uh, have been in the, uh, I have not had the privilege of needing to use mothballs for anything. <laughs> but we know that moths over historically have been a destroyer of clothing and a destroyer of garments, a destroyer of anything that was um, being left out for a period of time. And so these moths would come and they would eat holes and clothes and they would make these clothes to be uh, unuseful and uh, they would have to be thrown out or they would have to be patched at best. And then we, we know about, if we live in Michigan, okay, so let's just call it as it is. We know about rust, right? Um, if you have a vehicle that's more than like five years old, you know about rust. Um, I had one of um, the first car, uh, actually um, it was one of the cars, one of the first cars I had um, when Cindy and I got married. I was driving it, and um, I was driving it in uh, rain. It was raining pretty badly, and um, I hadn't been paying a whole lot of attention previously to it, and so I was driving this car. Um, and then uh, all of a sudden, I started noticing as I was moving my feet around that my, my feet were getting wet while driving my car. <laughs> and if you've lived in the Midwest for any length of time, you know what would happen. The salt had corroded, and the bottom of the car had begun to rust, and now through the floorboards, uh, water was kicking up from the rain. And now I'm sitting in my car and my feet are wet. Everything else is dry because of the rust on my car. Um, the picture here of thieves breaking in and stealing. Um, just in this group of people, um, there have probably been one or two of us that have been victims of theft, if not more. And that's never a pleasant thing when things that you cherish, things that you value are taken away from you. Um, nothing makes us feel quite as helpless as being robbed. When something we want that we felt was protected, whether it be in our homes or in our vehicles or wherever it may have been, and now that thing, we can't get it back, we can't find it, we can't go get it again. All of these things were very applicable in this first century. Um, because as you look at even the homes that they lived in, it was very common for thieves to be able to go in even through the exterior walls of these homes. These homes are not made like ours are today, but they're made from um, they're made from dirt and hardened um, clay. And so a thief would go to a place where they would not be seen. They'd begin to chip away at the outside of a home. And they would, in fact, while the uh, family was gone, while the homeowners were not there, they would gain access through the back of the home. And then they would, uh, they would take advantage of that. And so what we find is that in all of these situations, Jesus is pointing to something that we don't have the ability to make last forever. 
He's pointing to things, whether it be uh, the moth or the rust or the uh, thieves breaking in and stealing. These are things that we only have for a period of time. Now, I think all of us are mature enough that we can acknowledge that everything we have on this earth are things, everything we have, they are things that only are in our possession for a limited amount of time. Maybe um, some of you, how many can remember your first car? All right. How many of you still have your first car? All right. Uh, no one under the age of 21, right? <laughs> Why? Because it got old. It takes that work to restore. And so we decided at some point in time that we do not want to restore that anymore. It's, we no longer have it. All of our possessions, we understand that these things are temporary. They do not continue and last eternally. And so all the stuff that we have, whether it be the clothes that we are wearing today, these will wear out. One day, the clothes that we have on will no longer be viable. Even too, if we go far enough out in the futures, uh, the building that we are in right now and the homes that we occupy, because everything has a shelf life, doesn't it? Everything is limited. And so here, as Jesus is speaking, he is speaking, watch this in verse number 21. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. In verse 19, don't lay up these kind of treasures. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can I tell you this this morning? What you value reveals your heart. What you value reveals your heart. And I'm not just speaking of material things, not just speaking of tangible things that you can put your hands on, but what you value will every time reveal your heart. Maybe what you uh, value, uh, and, and here's how actually, let's go into, I want to look at this illustration that Jesus gives because he is the master teacher, gives these beautiful metaphors here in this book. Watch verse 22. This metaphor he gives is just it's, it's fascinating. He says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And so he speaks to us and he, he transitions with this metaphor about how he calls the light of the body, the eye. Now, all of us in here, um, we had the ability to get here today by seeing where we are going. If you can't see where you are going, you need someone else to help you by being your eyes, correct? Um, hopefully, right? Um, when I took driver's training um, growing up, one of the things that the instructor told me and told our class was to keep our eyes where when we're driving? On the road. Good. All right. Excellent. Um, in case you didn't know, um, statistically, Monroe is apparently the worst driving city in our state. Um, so at least it's not made up of the people in here. Because we know to keep our eyes on the road. Why do we keep our eyes on the road? What happens if we begin to take our eyes off of the road? Maybe you were driving with someone, because you would never do this, but you, someone was driving and you were in the passenger seat, and they began to take their eyes off of the road. Maybe there was an accident. Uh, maybe there was a deer going through the field. Who knows? But you begin to take your eyes off of the road. What happens to the car? It begins to veer, doesn't it? And it begins to move out of that lane. Why? Because your eyes have moved somewhere else. 
The same thing is very, very much true with our hearts. As our hearts are drawn away from God, as our hearts turn to other things, they lead us in the rest of our body. Our actions will follow. This is also why um, the scriptures tell us to keep our hearts with all diligence. Because the Bible teaches that out of it come the issues of life. So if you want to look around and say, hey, why is the fruit of my life rotten? Why are things in my life? Why am I, what is going on? Why are these things taking place? Let's back up and let's start with, where is our heart drawing us? And so he says, he says even this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. And so he speaks of the eye as being this place whereby we begin to have understanding. The light is this entry point into the rest. This eye is the entry point into the rest of our lives. And this eye throughout all of the scripture, the eye is a symbol of the things that we are looking to, the things that we are looking after, the things that are are compelling us, the things that have our attention. And so we see that Jesus, he is speaking and he says, what you value, it will reveal your heart. Where your treasure is, when your treasure being just whatever you value there will your heart be also. When we think of treasure, I want to really encourage you. Don't think of treasure only as being monetary. Don't think of treasure only as being finances. There are so many people that say, oh, you know what? I've got that under control. Money doesn't own me. And yet we also find ourselves being pulled about by all these other things. And it just so happens that money is not that thing. But as he speaks of treasure, treasure doesn't just have to be something tangible and physical. It's just not just a number in your bank account. But really what he's speaking to here is he's speaking to how what you want from life will always affect how you live your life. What you want from life will always affect how you live your life. And so the things that in your heart you are desiring, it will change the way that you act. It will change the way that you behave. For example, if you are going about and you want pleasure, you just want to have a good time. You just want to live a life where you can enjoy. I just want to be happy. There's a philosophy for that. It's called hedonism. And if you live your life saying, I just want to be happy, and you begin to make that the idol of your life, you're going to spend your whole life chasing after things that make you happy. And eventually what will happen is those guardrails, those things that you say, well, I would never do that. You'll eventually cross those things because you become convinced that happiness is on the other side. You'll do the same thing for status. You'll do the same thing for relationships. You'll do the same thing for money or for a career because the thing that you want is going to compel you and draw you wherever you're going to go. And so it's vital for us to remember what Jesus has said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Because at the same time, when your treasure is placed where it ought to be, when you value the things of God, when you value spiritual things, when your life is lived for the purpose of bringing glory to God, the same thing is going to be true. You're going to be compelled to follow after him. You're going to be compelled to do things before you may have looked at and said, that's ridiculous. Why would I give some of my money so that someone else can uh, teach kids in a different country? That's not going to benefit me. Why would I live sacrificially so that I can? But then as we find out that our treasure is not here, we're moth, rust, corrupt. 
where thieves break in and steal, when we see that these things are not the things that truly hold value, what does this do for us? It compels us to live differently. You see, what you want from life always affects how you live your life. We're creatures of desire. We're creatures of wants and needs. And you say, well, Nate, how does this relate to anxiety? I promise it does. But first, we have to understand this foundationally. There are things in our life that we want, that we desire, that we're going to pursue after. And these things can do one of, these are going to do one of two things. They're either going to draw you away from God and draw you into some form of hedonism and humanism and draw you into areas where you say, okay, it's about what I desire. I would do things differently. I would, I would. And uh, we can serve the uh, triune God of me, myself, and I. They're going to pull you that direction or they're going to pull you to following after Christ. There's no in-between. And in fact, Jesus says this himself as we keep reading. Look at verse number 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so what's, what's happening here? What is he speaking of? Um, as he says the word master here, he's not speaking of master in the sense of um, an employer, okay? I know there are people in here that um, either have or have had in the past multiple jobs. We live in a culture that sometimes um, that has been necessitated. And so uh, I respect that and we can all respect that. That's not what we're speaking of here. Uh, But what he's speaking of here is being a servant. Your life belongs to another. And he says, you cannot have two to whom your life belongs. It just doesn't work that way. Could you imagine trying to serve two masters? Could you imagine trying to be a servant to two uh, individuals that have a whole claim on your life? And then one says, hey, I need you to go here. The other says, I need you to go here. Now, what do you do? You have to make a choice. You have to say, I'm going to serve one or I'm going to serve the other. You can't serve both. And so here, Jesus is speaking and he says, you have to choose between serving the things that you desire, which he substitutes here. He says, money is this thing. You have to choose between serving this and serving God. You can't serve two masters because at the end of the day, what you're going to find is that you will despise one and you'll love the other. You're going to hate one and you're going to cling to the other. You can't do both. You're going to eventually have to make a decision. And so Jesus is calling people to this decision, which this is where he begins to address what we would call anxiety. Anxiety. And look at verse number 25. Because even here, as Jesus is saying, don't lay up for yourself treasures. You can't serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. He says, verse 25, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about your life. But he starts with that word, therefore. So he's connecting this thought to what just came before. He's not saying this is a new paragraph, new phrase, start over. He says, therefore, so because all of these things are true, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And and let's be honest here. If there's anything to be anxious about, aren't those things to be anxious about? If you're in the place where you're so desperate that you don't know where your next meal is going to come from, I mean, that's anxiety, right? 
I don't know what I'm going to eat. I don't know what I'm going to drink. My clothes are wearing out. I'm cold. I don't have anything to replace them. Right? Oftentimes our anxieties are, are a little different. Our anxieties are rooted in things that are uh, not quite as immediately tangible because of the culture we live in. But if you can place yourself here, maybe there was a time when you were in this kind of a situation and you said, I don't know where I'm going to even find my next meal. I mean, that can cause some stress and anxiety, right? That can cause some fear, right? And so what is he saying? He says, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Watch what he says in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. So what's the picture? What's the picture? Um, how many of you, how many of you, you either have, or uh, maybe in, in your past, you've had a bird feeder, right? Had a bird feeder, right? And it's fun to watch the birds come and they begin to like peck at the seed and you can see different birds come and you can see just different things happening there. It'd be fun to observe that. You know, what's incredible is um, those birds don't seem to be um, overly stressed out, right? We don't see birds. Have you ever interrupted a bird's planning meeting? Um, have you ever, have you ever um, accidentally stumbled upon a bird's uh, retirement account? Like they just, they don't have those things, right? They live day to day. They eat day to day. And in fact, they don't. So have you ever caught a bird planting the seed for next year's harvest? It doesn't happen, right? It doesn't, that doesn't exist. And yet, what is Jesus teaching us? He says, your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Listen, uh, we live in an anxious age. In fact, um, worry has become a billion dollar industry, right? We turn on the news and we almost enjoy being worried by the status of the world around us. Uh, you can buy books on the topic. You can go in and you can find all kinds of study and all kinds of things. Um, and anxiety, as we step into this, anxiety can be very complex. So I want to say that right here and right now, that anxiety can be very complex. I'm not trying to give a 10 minute solution to um, all of these things. But I want to lay a foundation for exploring it biblically. Um, and in a biblical sense, when we read this word anxiety, and oftentimes as worry begins to enter into our hearts and into our, our minds and into our lives, here is a foundation that is usually, not always, but usually the cause uh, of anxiety. Anxiety is the fear that needs will not be met. Anxiety is the fear that needs will not be met. Now, that may be a physical need. That may be um, a relational need. That may be a spiritual need. There could be all kinds of needs that we fill into that word needs. But anxiety is at its foundation, in its simplest form, I probably should say, the fear that needs will not be met. But this is why, this is why we hoard to ourselves, isn't it? This is why we gather and gather and gather and gather. Because we're afraid of needs not being met. And so its simplest form is anxiety is afraid of a relationship being broken. Of finances that won't be there. Afraid of pain. Afraid of loss. 
And so what we are instinctively driven to do is behave in response to this fear and anxiety. And so we go out and we go out and we go out and our self-preservation turns on and we say, I have to make sure that I am covered. But oftentimes this results in behavior, number one, that is hurtful to others. And number two, that is not glorifying to God because it is not living by faith but it's living by pursuing the things that you and I are able to see with our eyes. But if our eyes are on the wrong object, where does that get us? And so anxiety is a fear that needs will not be met. In the Old Testament, we have a beautiful um, illustration of the way that God meets our needs. Um, If you remember back to the book of Exodus, um, this is immediately after the children of Israel. They've been slaves in Egypt for generations. And then God um, sends Moses, raises up Moses, and Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egypt. Um, across the Red Sea, they walk on dry ground. A big miraculous story, right? And as they cross over the Red Sea, and as they come to this uh, new land, this new place, as they began to go out, um, they were complaining, they were hungry, they wanted food. And so God provided for them food that we today, we call it manna, manna, which means, uh, what is it? It's a great name when you don't know what it is. Let's call it, what is it? And so they called it manna. But here's something that's really interesting about this manna. Um, six days of the week, they were told, go out and gather this manna and gather enough food for today. But when this first began to take place, um, when this command goes out the first time, Uh, Many families, many men and women went out and they gathered as much manna as they could. They filled up bowls, they had reserves, and they said, now we won't starve and we will be satisfied for days. And then the next morning they woke up and can anyone fill in the blank? What happened to the manna? It spoiled, right? It didn't keep. It didn't stay good for that next day. Understand that this is a teaching opportunity for us. This illustration illustrates a principle that's very true for you and I. You see, God's provisions for today are just that. They're God's provisions for today. You see, the manna that he gave to them was not so that they could hoard it to themselves and become comfortable with the manna so that they could trust in manna. The reason for the manna was so that they could look and they could trust in God. And so what did they do? They all of a sudden turned the attention off of the one who provided the manna to the manna itself. And they began piling it up and piling it up and say, all right, now I have enough manna. But so often we do this to ourselves today. We are so afraid of everything outside of us that we want to isolate ourselves from any possible risk. And so we gather resources, we gather funds, we gather all of these things and we keep them close. And then what happens slowly is that our faith stops being on God and starts being on the things that we are able to see. Our faith stops being on the one who gives the provision and becomes on the provision itself. But that's not how we are designed to walk. Because the thing is, is uh, as our attention and as our faith becomes based on those items, as it becomes based on those provisions, what happens now when those provisions dry up? What happens when those provisions aren't there anymore? What happens when we don't have those things that made us feel safe and comfortable? 
Well, if those were the source of our comfort and our perceived safety, and now we don't have them, how are we going to feel? We're going to feel unsafe and uncomfortable. And so when we look at anxiety, it's this fear that needs will not be met. Let me tell you this. When you are looking to the wrong place to meet your needs, your needs will go unmet. You see, the gods that this world can offer can't meet your needs. They won't. Satisfaction, achievement, whatever you're seeking in this life. It's incredible. There's, um, there's this thing called um, it's a philosoph- it's philosophical understanding. It's called the hedonistic paradox. All right. That sounds very, you know, big brain intelligent, right? The hedonistic paradox. And here's simply what it is. The more you chase after happiness, the harder it is to find. The more you chase after happiness, the harder it is to find. But this is true in every area of our life. As we go out seeking to feel safe, seeking to feel comfortable, seeking to feel all of these things, when that becomes the object of our life and the purpose for our life, you're not going to find it. And Jesus gives us insight into this. Let's keep reading here. Let's start back at verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And your your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life. So what is he saying? Uh, I'll paraphrase. What is your worry getting you? Can you live an hour longer because of your worry? Is that going to preserve you? Well, obviously no. Why are you anxious about clothing? Verse 28. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spend. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And so he even speaks uh, the lilies of the field, the wild flowers that grow. He's saying these things that even oftentimes we would consider weeds, right? When they grow up, they have no intrinsic value to us. And yet they are, they're beautiful, right? And we see the colors and they're provided for. He says, even in all of his glory, Solomon the richest man that he can draw from in Israel's history. Solomon was never dressed like they were. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, verse 30, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. So those who are not following after God is who he's speaking of. They follow after these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. You want to know how to be satisfied? You want to know how to have the provisions that we need? Seeking first the kingdom of God. Getting our priorities in the right place. You see, when our priorities are out of line, we both miss out on the things that we're looking for and the thing that really matters. When we're seeking after happiness and leaving God off to the sideline, we're not going to get that happiness. When we're seeking after peace, we're not going to get that peace. When we're seeking after safety or we're seeking after relationship, we're not going to have those things in the way that we think we will. And we're also missing out on the one who created those good things. But here the scripture says, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. All these things will be given. All these things, here's what he's saying, will take care of themselves. We don't really like hearing that, do we? It'll all be all right. 
It'll all take care of itself. Those aren't comforting. How is it going to take care of itself? How is it going to work out? I want to know the details. I I can't see how it's going to happen. How, God, are these things going to fall into place? Can I burst our bubble a little bit? It doesn't have to be ours to know. God's not entitled to give us a roadmap of all of these things and how they're going to lay out. In fact, that's not how he works. But how does he work? Well, the author of Proverbs, Solomon, writes to us, and he says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know what's incredible about a lamp to our feet? A lamp is not a, a, lamp is not a floodlight, right? He doesn't say my word is a floodlight to your path. Uh, my word is a sun to your path where you can see everything that's coming down the road. But what is it? It's a lamp unto your feet and a light to your path. It's a small light. It's one that gives you the ability to see the next step, but it doesn't reveal everything to you. But we want that reveal everything to me. We want to have the life plan. We want to have the next five years that I'm going to know exactly how this is going to happen, exactly how this is going to work out. Uh, Can I just point out the obvious for those of us that have put those things together? How are you doing so far? (laughs) Is your life the way that you thought it would be five years ago or 10 years ago? Does it resemble the one that you had planned out in your mind? I think all of us could very honestly say, no, no, we make these plans. Uh, There's the the old saying goes, man plans, God laughs appropriately. So because we are terrible at telling the future, we don't know what's coming next, but that's okay. Because Jesus finishes this portion of his teaching with this watch. Therefore, verse 34. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Why? Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You see, what does he say? Don't be anxious. Don't worry about tomorrow. Have you ever noticed when we worry, it's always about tomorrow or the next hour or the next thing. It's always about what's going to happen in the future. And if we're really honest with ourselves, all the things that we worry about, how many of them actually come true? Some, maybe. But the trials and the heartaches that come tomorrow are usually totally different heartaches and trials than we ever anticipated, aren't they? And so what does he say? He says, stop trying to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. Stop trying to worry about those things that are going to happen next. So the, those things, the, the worry of tomorrow, it's going to be there tomorrow. Uh, one pastor, Kent Hughes, he, he wrote this illustration, this story um, that I think is really helpful in our trying to understand what's taking place in this passage. Um, he wrote a story of a woman named uh, Bertha Adams. She was 71 years old. She died alone in West Palm Beach, Florida, back in 1976. The coroner's report read, cause of death, malnutrition. So she wasted away down to about 50 pounds and was no longer able to stay alive. The authorities, she had no living relatives. The authorities went into her home um, and began to try to sort through things. And they found the biggest mess that any of them had ever seen. Uh, just a pig pen. Just, um, you've seen the show Hoarders. Uh, kind of like that. Very sad situation that they walked into here in Mrs. Adams' home. As they were going through um, her things and as they were trying to reconcile all of her stuff, um, what they found, they found two keys to safe deposit boxes at two different local banks. 
They were surprised by this. And when they opened the first box, they found over 700 AT&T stock certificates, plus hundreds of other valuable notes, bonds, and financial securities, not to mention cash at around $200,000. The second box had no certificates, nothing like that, um, just $600,000 worth of cash. So these two deposit boxes, Bertha Adams had enough resources, over a million dollars worth of resources in these deposit boxes. Her home was filled with, packed with things. And yet, this poor woman passed away from malnutrition. The source of provision was there, and yet she chose not to use it. She chose not to apply this to her own life. She, it seems like, unfortunately, um, likely there was some kind of a, a mental disorder that caused her to feel this way and to believe this way and to think this way. But she spent so much time and energy and efforts saving up for tomorrow that she didn't even think of today. Well, you see, worry so often does that to us. Worry goes in and says, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And what it causes us to do is neglect the today. But God has not placed us with the ability to live in tomorrow. You can't live tomorrow. By the time you get to tomorrow, it'll be today. It's not how it works. So understand this with me. God provides enough for today. God provides enough for today. See, we look at tomorrow, we look at the things down the road, we look at next year, and we say, well, how is that? God provides enough for today. Our trouble comes when we try to choose our own provision instead of God's. When we all of a sudden look around and say, daily grace, that's not good enough for me. I have to have more. I have to know more. I have to be comfortable outside of the things that I can see. Well, that's not living by faith. If I can see the way that everything's going to come together, faith is absent from that. And yet God has called me to live by faith. Faith. And so what we see is that faith is the thing that he has called us to. Not the provisions, the ability to gather together and the ability to hoard together and the ability to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. But what we see is that God provides enough for today. Or maybe I can say it just a little bit differently. For you sitting in here, if you're saying, okay, I'm wrestling with this. Today, God has provided enough. Today, God has provided enough. I don't know what you're walking through today. I don't know what's happening in your life. But I can tell you this. Today, God has provided enough. Today, God has provided enough. You say, but I need, I need strength and I don't know where it's going to come from. Hey, God's provided it. I need wisdom and I'm just, I'm confused by, hey, listen, God's provided it. God wants to give these things to you. God wants to help you and walk with you. Now, does that mean life is always going to go easy and go the way that you want it to go? No. But God gives you the grace to walk through it. God gives you the strength to walk through it, to endure it. Can I remind us today? As Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, our provision for our sin is based on faith. All of our eternity comes back to faith. comes back to understanding and believing that Jesus Christ, the one who had never sinned, died for you and for me. 
You see, you and I, just like we can't provide for ourselves physically, we can't provide for ourselves spiritually either. You can't be good enough to earn your way to God. You can't read your Bible enough or come to church enough or do enough good things. You can't. It's impossible. But the fact is, is that even though we are incapable of providing our own way to God, even though we are condemned and we are sinful, God provided for us. And if you can trust him for eternity, surely we can trust him for today. If you can trust him to take care of you, to give you this everlasting life, surely you can trust him in the here and now. And so let me encourage you. Believers in Christ, those of you who would say, I am a Christian. I have put my faith in him. Are you living a life of faith? Are you abiding in the truth that God has provided enough? He's taken care of. We don't have to worry. Uh, Can I say this? Worry is a sin. Worry is a sin. But worry is a sin that Jesus died for. And he can forgive us of those things. And it's covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so if you're in here today and you say, you know what, I've been trying to be good enough. I've been trying to do enough good things that God would accept me and approve of me. God has provided through his son, Jesus Christ. And today we would invite you to place your faith in him.